So in today's episode, learn exactly what is production optimization and how does IBM connect all these different things? And then what wastes engineers time more than anything? gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. All right, so we're sitting here in beautiful Calgary, Canada at IBM's office. It is gorgeous outside, and we're going to spend a little time talking today about production optimization. Lucky enough to have on my show right now, I have Crystal. How are you doing today, Crystal? Good. Good. I heard that you literally got back from vacation and they told you to come to record this podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Managers. Huh. You think that's on your performance review? Well, that's what's so good. <laughs> and Giovanni, we've had a, a short amount of time. You've blessed my very poor Portuguese skills, right? You're on a short time frame, so the welcome board. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. And Thank then, you. Darius, you and I have been talking all day. We should have had the microphone on earlier at lunch. Indeed, indeed. All right, so before we get started, when we talk about production optimization, what does that mean to you, to IBM? Okay, to IBM, I think the best one is for Darius. For me, I have a, a different approach. That's the data science approach. How It's a very interesting problem to solve. And it's amazing that because a lot, very few people in the world are actually doing it. And for me, the short answer is it's an amazing problem to solve that I'm very interested to do. It is an amazing problem. And you're right. There's a lot of people talking about it. There's just like a lot of people talk about AI. What they really have when you dig behind the covers is big data analytics. It's not really AI. Production optimization is a lot of companies that are talking about. Very few people do I see actually moving a needle. But I'm pretty convinced that y'all are moving a needle. What's going on with that, Darius? Well, so what we found out is this problem it's, has been hard to solve for a couple of reasons. Optimization engines are really good at solving localized problems that can be defined in, in the business unit scale, but uh, are much more complex and harder to run if we are talking about optimization of a value chain across multiple business units. And also, you run them uh, when you do yearly planning, when you are doing quarterly planning. What is novel in our approach is that we are using a combination of machine learning that analyzes data, production data in near real time, spots opportunities to improve performance, either reducing operating costs or driving higher production on the established uh, operating cost basis, and then optimize when we spot those opportunities and optimizers are providing recommendations to operators what they can change now, today, to drive better business results. And what Giovanni is doing for us, he's leading the team that is developing those optimization, well, first of all, machine learning models and then optimization algorithms that provide recommendations to operators how to drive cost per barrel so, Giovanni, I have to ask you this. I, I understand a little bit about big data analytics. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem in all the gas that I see is not only is the data siloed, a lot of it's dirty. It's not clean. Yes. And that's a lot of hours to clean that data up. Do you all have a better way to do that? Yes. We are actually improving how we process the data at this moment. 
actually, the companies are getting better with their data because uh, the oil they, companies are getting better. Yeah, yeah. It's about you, uh, time. If you if you start uh, if compare the data now with the data that they had like uh, before the the dropping oil, it's much better now because now they're seeing that uh, oh, I need to increase my revenue. And I need to bring partners to work with me to bring me better solutions. And every new partner that are working, IBM one of them, actually they need to improve a, a small part of their process, a small part of the data. Then it's getting better. Yeah, but in the other side, it's still not good enough for a perfect solution that we can just get the data and provide a solution. With that, we bring like a talented people that understands the business, like Crystal we have here. And also people that understand data processing and data science in general combine this kind of knowledge to see, okay, how can I clean this data or patch up this data in a better way that doesn't lose the sense of it? Yeah. And so, Crystal, you're like straddling between two worlds, aren't you? Yeah, and I love it. Before joining IBM, I worked as an engineer in an oil and gas company, and opt- Production optimization is not new to any company. We do it. Engineers do it. But what the interesting problem that Giovanni talked about is looking at it site-wide. Being an engineer, I'm in one department looking at one set of data and then doing all I can to optimize my area. But I don't really know what that means to someone downstream and upstream of me. But what is the great part of this project that IBM is doing is that we can now connect things. We can look at things that are at a much... Crystal, you're an engineer and you have people skills? <laughs> How did that happen? You're an oil and gas engineer and you can talk to people? This mining engineer teaches us drinking and <laughs> No, no, I think it's awesome. Actually, I think that's one of the traits that future engineers need to develop is their, their soft skills, people skills. So it's actually fascinating to hear you say that because what's happened in the last couple of years that I've seen, and once again, I'm not a data scientist, I'm an oil and gas guy, is that I, a lot of engineers spend too much of their time getting the data ready to process. I mean, enormous amount of their day-to-day work stuff. And you're telling me that y'all are working on solutions. I'm not talking about production optimization. I'm talking about just being able to find the data they need and use it in a meaningful way. For sure. And that's, we spent at least two months with our current client on doing what we call discovery. And it's really to understand all the data. We talk to different teams, looking at their different data, what is good, what is bad. And we take the best part of it and kind of adjust our solution to make use of the good data and you know, let them know this, you know, we can improve the solution. You fix this data set for us. Yeah. So Darius, I mean, this, just the, the three of y'all here, I mean, we've hit on some major problems that I know is a big deal in oil and gas, upstream oil and gas right now. The quality of the data, the silos that, that, that data tends to be in, the amount of human labor hours it takes to actually put that data together in a way that can be useful when you do analytics on it. And IBM's working with actual oil and gas companies, so you're not doing academia. This isn't in a lab somewhere in Montreal. You're actually working with the actual oil and gas companies and making this a real business kind of rubber-hit-the-road, move-the-needle type of solution. This is indeed real. And it's not only a project with one client. What we are doing with this client, we are building solution that would be applied to the industry. So it's advanced analytics, artificial intelligence, that after we have it completed with the client we are currently working with, it could be applicable to the others. But in terms of the moving the needle, COO of that company told us the benefit we will derive from it would be an equivalent of building new production plant. And you can do that for the fraction of the price I'm in. So that's the type of the business results that are possible with use of artificial intelligence, advanced analytics technology. It's, it's the revenge of the nerds coming to oil and gas <laughs> industry, I think. 
And I'm proud to say I'm one of those nerds. So that's interesting. So the little bit I know about AI is once y'all complete this project, that AI instance is now much more effective and efficient at processing this sort of stuff, which means that your next client, the learning curve will be shorter and the next one's shorter and the next one's shorter. Absolutely. So here's a question. Do you, and please know, I'm not slighting any engineers in this room or let's listen to us in, in, in the audience out there. Will it eventually get to the point where it'll be better than people? Computers are already better than people in very narrow space. Right. This space would be growing in time, but I hope that in my life, computers mm-hmm. won't be better than people. They'll be used to help people be more efficient and getting, making better decisions. But what is between our ears will and will remain the most important thing. Yeah. We're, we're just not as good as processing such a massive amount of data instantaneously and deriving insight out of it as computers are. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree 110%. The thing is, we talked about this at lunch, saying we didn't have the microphones on then, is that our industry is facing a labor shortage of unprecedented proportions, and there's no solution. There's no secret island of data scientists that Exxon or Chevron or BP can go find their competitors don't have. So one of the approaches I'm seeing the oil and gas industry do is using technology to eliminate some of the positions so that those people can then do more higher level more business impacting type of work. And this sort of sounds like this is where this may end up being because doing production optimization is, is, is not a fun thing to do when you're, I mean, Crystal, I'm sure you're <laughs> first one to say it's not a fun, it's not the favorite thing you do in your job. No. Yeah. I, I would say it's almost classic 80, 20. We, we think that what we are doing is less eliminating positions, but turning 80% of unproductive time into 80% of productive time were thanks to artificial intelligence solutions. Those production engineers would have information, recommendations that they evaluate and would be choosing from, and therefore they'll be delivering so much more value to the business than it's possible today. Yeah, and Giovanni, I know that you have a hard stop. I appreciate a little time on the <laughs> microphone. If you need to get out of here, go ahead. Now, I will tell you this much. Any action items we will assign to you when you're out of the room and off the microphone. I'm joking. <laughs> yes, uh, you can talk to Crystal. She's like my, my right arm. Yeah. But we do we do appreciate having you on the mic, and we'll end up visiting with you later. So thanks for joining us a little bit that you Thank could. You. Thank you. I really need to go. Yeah. So Crystal, was it a cultural change for you to come from an oil and gas company to a technology company? It is a little. Exactly like you said, I used to spend so much time cleaning data, and that was actually my job for three years is – we don't have that Girl, I don't know how you did that for three years straight. <laughs> and it's true. We didn't have the tools. We didn't have big data tools. And I used Excel. I copy and pasted, exported into CSV. And that was my job for three years. Cleaning, looking for missings, using pivot tables. And here, there's so many smart people. And they just do it with, like, three lines of code. And, things, and then they're like, oh, look, did you know this and i was like well let me check my excel <laughs> so it's it's definitely a culture change that's so funny so our our existing audience for other shows has heard me talk about this forever i love microsoft and i love microsoft excel it is not the tool for everything and the oil and gas industry uses it for everything i have seen 72 tab excel spreadsheets and i mean really 72 tabs you know and, and Microsoft, you know I love you to death, but there's better tools out there. So speaking of better tools, Doris, it's as, as y'all are developing this production optimization and you're working, I think it's cool how y'all are doing it. So instead of going off into the cloud somewhere and coming up with something and come bring it to Oil & Gas, you said, you know what? Y'all are Oil & Gas. You know your business. Let's work together as a partner. You know, when you start doing this, you're now driving efficiencies at an unprecedented level. 
That's this, this is big stuff. This is shareholder affecting type stuff. If you're a public company, what are some of the challenges? I, and I know one of them absolutely is, is our industry itself. We don't like new stuff and this is new stuff. Um, but what are some of the challenges in bringing something that's just useful to an industry that doesn't like change? Well, you actually brought up the major obstacle, which is how to convince people who has been working in the industry for 20, 30 years and have been executing the process in a particular way to doing it differently. And we all know that doing it differently brings risks. So yes. there is a natural reluctance to it. And of course, in oil and gas industry, a risk mitigation has a fundamentally important role to play. So we often joke, even though, even though we have one of the best mathematics research department, very complex analytical tools, well, one of the best optimization engines. We are saying advanced analytics and AI is the easiest part in this business. Two problems are making sure we have the data we can use. And by the way, on the data, it doesn't have to be perfect. There are tools that are that can compensate for data being dirty, data being incomplete. So it's not that the companies have to solve it in the first place, but data is one problem. It's more of a mental hang-up to start, but the biggest, absolutely the biggest problem is adoption. Make sure that the operators, engineers, geoscientists, that those experts use those tools, artificial intelligence tools, to improve performance of their work. And that adoption is the critical element. We recognize it early. We make it as an integral part of every of our project. And at the end of the day, it's not about IBM coming up with the best solution. It's about our clients being convinced that using those solutions that we bring to them is makes their it's a smart business. It it makes the business sense to use them. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, for our audience out there that's listening to this. There's another way to look at this. So if you're in the operations side of upstream and you're hearing us talk about production optimization, the other thing is you're, you're using less man hours. And we all know that when you use less man, man hours, you have less lost time instance. So this is actually an HSE, HSE affecting technology. And, and yes, of course, there's risk there, but you can mitigate that risk if you're an operator and, you know, reach out, talk to IBM and bring them on a small scale. Give them one field, give them one data set, right? And, and this way you're not risking the way you do it now and you can still continue the way you do it now while you're learning if this ai solution really moves the needle which i'm telling you now operators it really moves the needle you'll thank me later for that so crystal coming back to the actual data side of this and, and we've talked a whole bunch about cleaning up and the work it takes you know engineers to get all that data ready to process and excel spreadsheets all that sort of stuff but the other thing is the speed of the data that we're creating on the field is increasing and the amount of data is increasing. A lot of people may not know this, but for a long time, especially on land in North America, there was just no connectivity. Wells tend to be out in the middle of nowhere. And if you collected that data, you did it on pen and paper, and it was brought back and key punch in our famous Excel spreadsheets. But now we're starting to sensorize a lot of that. And there's now more connectivity out in the Permian and the Bakken and everywhere else. And so now I'm, I'm wondering, is it getting to the point where people that work for operators are some of the engineers overloaded with the amount of data that's coming in? And that is the case. For a few clients that I've worked with, they have what we call tags. So each of the sensor is basically a, a tag of its own. And one client I work with have a hundred thousand sensors. The 
new client I'm working with have 400,000 sensors and they're spitting things out at five seconds to one minute intervals. So exactly to your point is they are overloaded. And when you don't have time to, you know, actually leverage all the different information you're spending money on, you know, extracting, it is lost opportunities. And that's where kind of I see where IBM has that upper hand is using cloud, using big data, and to take everything and process everything much quicker. So back to the point that you quickly made before about is it is computer going to be better than people? I don't think so. It's about augmenting. Make, taking the tedious work out. You know, you don't have to filter out every all the 100,000 sensors. Pick out the important ones and then use it. And then now you don't have to spend time on Excel sheets. You can actually think about, you know, how do I improve my operations, safety, production, and all those in- critical things. Yeah, and another thing is, and, and this is like I talked about earlier, this, this talent shortage that's coming at us. If you have an engineer, that's a high-dollar asset, right? High-dollar high capital in your organization. Do you really want them scrubbing Excel spreadsheets? I mean, I mean, seriously, that, that is such a waste of resources, whereas you could be actually doing real engineering stuff and let the machine scrub the data. And that actually, I was actually, for, prior to joining IBM, I worked for a company and they hired me because I have this double background in both engineering and data. And they didn't have data. It was exactly the point. They have <laughs> written logs. And then I had to enter it into a database. So I was like, are you sure you want me to be doing this? Do you know how much you're paying me? And that's exactly to your point. And you know what's sad about that? I've seen that a thousand times where some high-paid asset a company's key punching stuff. And in today's world, that is ridiculous. You, there's, there's a million tools out there that can take unstructured data, put a schema around it, put tags around it. You know, but I still see it every day. And I'm not talking about like out in, you know, some undeveloped third world country. I'm talking about in the Houston, Texas, the global epicenter. <laughs> you know, I see this all the time. So there's another place where you can drive efficiencies in your operations is just free up your people to do what they're better at doing. And Darius, you're getting ready to jump in and I interrupt you. Oh, no, very, so, so when I've seen you talking about there is a better way, absolutely, there is a better way for years and it's easy to use. So if we can only encourage uh, oil and gas companies and key people uh, that to to reach out and we'll be more than happy to share experiences connected with the clients that have already seen the efficiencies that can be achieved using uh, th- those sorts of technologies other oil and gas operators that are that are already benefiting from using them yeah, and it's funny you brought up that they had you key punching data a lot of people don't realize this about our industry oil and gas has always always been a big data industry even when it's paper mud logs in the 30s that's still data right but to get that data to make it useful it has to be digitalized and i've actually seen a warehouse i think it's drilling info has this warehouse big shout out to alan gilmore if, if he's listening and they went and bought these paper mud logs because he knows in the future that data that's sitting there on these old paper logs is going to be super valuable so that's a visionary right there to know that that's some, something is where we're going and as as an industry and you know i'm you know to be totally clear i'm in Calgary, not just to talk to IBM, but tomorrow I'm, I'm actually presenting on what I call the, the trillion-dollar data brawl at PPDM. I think the data that we're collecting, that we're cleaning up, that we're processing, that we're using to drive business metrics, I think that in itself is going to be a revenue stream in the future. And I'm not talking about 100 years from now. I'm talking about next year. Yeah. You know, And you need companies, you need partners that understand how to do that. I mean, imagine if you're a major operator and you could add another revenue stream, right? What are your shareholders going to think about that? With the stuff you already have, which is the data that's sitting in all these access databases all over the world, you know, all disjointed, nobody's using it. 
y'all, I'm sure you see that all the time where companies have all these resources and don't know how to properly use it. Oh, oh absolutely. There is a saying that data is the new oil, which, which is so interesting in the context of oil and gas industry. Oil and gas industry data can be another oil revenue source for them without, without a doubt. Also, what we are very careful about is operate with the corporate philosophy that the data is always owned by the client that generated that data. We are certainly not the only company that has that philosophy, but, but it is one of the elements that it's so deeply entrenched in IBM Psycho because we've been always company that work with other companies rather than with individuals who uh, give their data freely and let others capitalize on their data. What we are building for our clients are the solutions that would allow them to leverage the data they have and monetize it. There are way too many opportunities to monetize data. We might want to have a separate podcast about it, but without a doubt, from exploration data, from production data, from maintenance data, from uh, supply chain, primary, secondary distribution data, to the retail data, there are thousands of opportunities to monetize on it. You know, you touched on something I want to make sure we make clear to our audience. Um, I know we have a lot of uh, the younger workforce in oil and gas listening. I know we have a lot of people from tech companies listening. We also have some of the guys my age from oil and gas listening. The old IBM is not the new IBM. Everything changes. You know, 15 years ago, the state of the art was an extra long cord on the telephone in your house. Now you carry around a mini computer in your pocket, right? Well, companies change, right? So the, the telephone companies change, IBMs change. IBM, when I first got to know them, was a box manufacturer. In fact, I used to compete with them when I worked at Bell South. And I learned that I just couldn't win, <laughs> so I started partnering with them. Um, but the company itself has changed. Y'all are now no longer a box manufacturer. Y'all are one of the top oil and gas technology consulting companies on the planet, right? But you do more than talk. You do more than deliver academia. You bring your, your, your top people in to these companies, and you help them solve real problems. Well, thank you for these words. Indeed, that, that, that's what we do. And we are not only consulting, not only provide smart people that are working hand-in-hand hand with smart people in oil and gas industry, we are also building code. We are creating technology solutions that would help solve those problems quickly. As we've been talking earlier, the next time we solve it, it would take half the time. The third time we apply it, it's a fraction. And the fourth time, it's, it's almost negligible. That's what we are doing. We are very focused and dedicated on helping oil and gas exploration production companies operate better, reduce production costs per barrel, be able to compete more effectively in, in, in this global marketplace. So, so yes. Yeah. It's in, you don't know this, and we didn't talk about this at lunch, but I got, first got exposed to Watson years ago. And when I... It took me a while to get my head around, right? Because I've always understood data. I've always understood analytics. I've always understood, I didn't always, but eventually I learned what big data analytics were, right? When I finally took, got my head wrapped around what Watson was capable of in oil and gas, because um, y'all, at that time, y'all had a, a oil and gas Watson team. I don't, you, I don't know if y'all still do or not, but I was blown away. The fact that you could teach code to do stuff, and in the beginning, it did it as good as a three-year-old, and then as a 10-year-old, and then a 12-year-old, and then college grad, and then a PhD. And then it occurred to me, it's like, you know, Watson doesn't change the way it works if it gets in a fight with its wife. Watson can look at a thousand data streams a second and not get tired. Watson doesn't need to go to Starbucks. Watson doesn't need a vacation. This, this is fundamentally game-changing technology. And the companies out there that understand how it helps them and can adopt it, 
first or go pull way ahead of the companies that don't? What, uh, what my clients uh, tell me, Mark, is the best thing about Watson is that it doesn't retire, that it stays with me. And it also learns and keeps learning. So we are not there yet, but in a couple of years or 10 years, it would be generations of engineers and operators uh, whose knowledge can be captured in the solution that is used by the company. And this might form one of the important competitive advantage for their operations, that they capture the knowledge of their experts in artificial intelligence system. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit at lunch. That knowledge transfer component of all of these old guys like me leaving the industry is huge. I know a lot of smart companies, a lot of big companies that have seen this problem for over a decade and have looked at how to address it. And as far as I know, nobody's figured out how to fix this thing. You know, you got the guy that's been a subsea engineer for 20, 25, 30 years. There's stuff in his head that's not written down that he is not even aware of, right? He has to be put back in that same situation for it to come back. But that is super valuable. And you're right, we're losing that. And if you have the ability to train a machine, in this case Watson, to learn those things, that's, that's you talk about a, a game changer for a corporation where instead of having 20 or 30 years of engineering expertise because you have all these senior engineers, what if you have 50 years or 100 years or 150 years, right? And that's exactly what we're talking about. And when you think about bringing new engineers on, I mean, Crystal, at some point, not that long ago, you were a new engineer. You know, there's a big difference in what you learn in school and what you learn on the job. And it takes usually a couple years for you to feel comfortable enough. But using stuff like AI, you could shorten that for new engineers and also make sure they don't make mistakes. Yes, exactly. And I worked on the oil and gas for six years. I did two different roles. For someone to be end-to-end familiar with the whole system, he would have to work there until retirement. Yeah. And for IBM, we can take all these different knowledge and teach it all at once. And one additional thing, because you mentioned safety, a lot of times people work off complacencies. And in IBM, when we give recommendation, we can take in consideration your safety protocols, your best practices. And it reminds people, you are used to operating that way, but have you thought about this protocol in place? So not only are you transferring kind of people knowledge, but also the accumulated documentations you have developed over the years as well. Yeah, we don't have time because we're getting close to wrapping up, but I have this story about a big data analytics project in a refiner that it accidentally uncovered a safety thing and it moved the needle so far and it was a total accident. But because the machine didn't have a bias, the machine was looking at all the data and goes, here it is. And it was so much data that no human could have comprehended all that and came up with the same conclusion. So the solution was there. You just have to have enough processing horsepower to be able to find it. That's right. That's right. Can I share a story on my end? Yes, uh, you can. After yours. So uh, Woodside, one of the leading exploration and production yeah, companies we know Woodside. in Australia, once they trained Watson on their engineering knowledge, they were able to cut their apprentice program from three years to two years. We very much believe that they might be able to cut it further, but again, nobody wants to risk it too much. So, so it was cut one-third because they've seen that those younger engineers, they can acquire the knowledge. Otherwise, they would have to go to their far more experienced colleagues who would be busy, who would be preoccupied with something else. Watson is always for them. They can keep asking. There is no shame, no stress in asking the question. So the level, the speed at which they are learning is much faster when they interact with uh, artificial intelligence system. You know, I never thought about that, but I, it's absolutely true. So we have part of one of our podcasts, Oil and Gas This Week, where we have first Friday Q&A who has questions. And we get a lot of simple questions. And what I found out is this new younger workforce 
will ask their peers, will ask strangers on a podcast. They won't ask their manager. So they don't want to appear like they don't know what they're talking about, right? Yeah. And so that's funny that Watson touches that too. Yeah. And this podcast is supposed to be about production optimization. We've been all over the place. We're getting close to winding this thing down. So before we go any further, you have a real product. It's been proven in the field. You're looking for other companies to partner with to prove it further. I'm guessing that if a company out there was interested, one of the best things they could do would be reach out to IBM. We'll put a link in the show notes to, we don't know where we're to put the link in the show notes yet. We'll put it to somewhere, landing page or a person's email address or something. So people, if they want to learn more, can reach out. IBM is not a sales-centric culture. I've spent too much time with them. You're not going to be pounced upon by a bunch of salespeople. You'll have somebody that wants to help work with you, uh, reach out to you, see if you're a good fit, see if they, they are a good fit for you, and then they can help you produce uh, increased production to feel they darn well do it. All right, so Darius and Crystal, we're getting ready to wind this thing down. I appreciate both of your time. Y'all are doing some really fun, exciting, groundbreaking work in oil and gas. I wish you the best of luck. We're going to have you back on the podcast. This is, this is, we've touched the tip of the iceberg of what IBM's doing in oil and gas, and I want to explore this much, much, much further. But thank both of y'all for, for coming on the show. Th- thank you so much. It's an exciting time, exciting field, and we look forward to sharing it with you and your listeners. Man, what great conversations that was. We're at the product review section. So we're looking for tech products. does not have to have anything to do with oil and gas for us to review on your show. So if you know of something that's really cool or if you have something that's really cool, uh, go to the show notes and reach out to us and let us know what it is and we'll, we'll review your product on the show. Disclaimer, a lot of times companies give us things. So we try not to bias our reviews. So if you give us something and we think it's really cool, we'll let you know. And if it needs some improvement, we'll let our audience know that as well. Uh, it's time for the giveaway except Flutour and I are working on some top secret stuff, so we can't reveal what the giveaway is yet. I promise you by episode six or seven, we'll be giving away something really cool every week, so listen for that. And then go check out the website. If you like the show, go check out oilandgastechpodcast.com. That's oilandgastechpodcast.com. While you're there, give us your email. We promise never to spam you, and this way you get alerted when we do something really cool or new. And while you're out there looking for places to join, go check out our LinkedIn group. It's OGGN.com on LinkedIn. Our LinkedIn group's strong. It's the companion to this show and all of our other oil and gas podcasts. So we are making sure that you don't get left behind one podcast at a time. And here are events on deck with Julie. Hey everyone, it's Julie here with the events on deck for May 2019. We have our Midland Happy Hour on May 21st at Midland Beer Garden, and it will be from six to nine. And then we have our Houston Happy Hour and it's going to be at the Canon from 6 to 9 on May 28th. This month we have the Oil and Gas Smart Contracts Conference on May 15th and 16th. And we will actually be launching another one of our new podcasts live from that event. So check it out. The link is in the show notes. We have the Merge Market Energy Forum on May 21st. At, it's in Houston. Just check that out in the show notes. And then we have a charity event, Golf for Good. That's a golf charity event for Redeemed Ministries. That's going to be on June 11th, 2019. And they are still looking for sponsors. So check that out in our show notes. And if you want to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. And that is it for the month of May. Some events on deck in the, the coming months. We have Shoot for the Future, a clay shoot on Friday, July 26th. And then NAPES and the the NAPES summer is coming up in August. And that is it for our upcoming events. 
Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil and Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.